Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Brian Eastman. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff Brown, known as Bald Guy Around the Country. Today, we're going to be talking with Brian Eastman about self-directed IRAs, especially meaning checkbook control. How you doing, Brian? Doing great. Doing great. How about you? So far, so good. Sunny skies. Doesn't get much better. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Let's just dive right in. What is a checkbook IRA? Well, it's a real nice tool that's designed to be, you know, able to invest in anything the IRS rules allow for and also put the investor directly in control of the funds and transactions. So, you know, just a, a lot more flexibility and in, in, in control. It's still an IRA, just like any other IRA, uh, but it's just, it's, it's, it's built differently. And what we do is it's a two-layered structure. Uh, we have an IRA at the back end that's held and reported on institutionally by what's referred to as a custodian, uh, and then that IRA makes a single investment into a legal entity, either an LLC or a trust, and the idea is the IRA owns the entity, so the entity is under the umbrella of the IRA for tax-favored status, but the IRA account holder can be the, the manager, the person in control of that entity with signing authority, and they can then use that that entity, that IRA or trust to go about conducting their investments without having to rely on a third party to sign every document and cut every check. Now, when you set that up, mechanically, how does that work? So, again, as I said, it's a two-layered structure. So it starts with an IRA account. We use a specialty institution, a company called Kingdom Trust, to serve as the IRA custodian. Think Vanguard with different paperwork, you know, same, same IRA concepts, just different staff training, different paperwork to document things beyond just stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. We'll have that IRA make a single investment into a special trust, what's referred to as a business trust, that we create through our legal team. And it's kind of like we're creating for our clients their own private hedge fund. So then what will happen is we'll, we'll do the legal work of forming that trust. The client will, will take those legal documents and go open just a trust bank account at the institution of their choosing. And then the IRA will invest in the trust, much, much as if it were buying shares of a stock or a fund, same concept, different paperwork, and the capital is placed into the trust and in that trust bank account. And then the client can deploy the capital from there. Now, you talked about an LLC and a trust. Why would one choose one over the other? Well, the LLC has been the, the common model, something that's been around for, oh gosh, 20, 25 years, and it's just a, a simple format that achieves the, these two layers and puts the control in the hands of, of the client. The problem is is that California <laughs> and uh, LLCs in California are, are complex to maintain and, and expensive. And so uh, using the expertise of our tax team, we've come up with this alternate solution of, of a trust entity instead of the LLC. Uh, so anybody who has a, a business nexus with California, they're, they're, they're either personally located in California or they're engaging in investments that happen to be located in California, uh, we use the trust format instead. So it's the same concept but a different legal entity. And, and, and the advantage is a registered business like an LLC or a corporation has to file a tax return with the state of California, even if it's owned by an IRA, and there's a minimum $800 tax each year that goes to the California franchise tax, just for existing, just for being licensed and, and as a business. The trust doesn't fall under that corporate categorization, so none of that applies. No tax return is required, no, no $800 a year minimum. It just operates as a vehicle for controlling the IRA funds, and it's a huge advantage and something pretty unique in the industry. Not, not a lot of folks are, are doing that. And one other thing I'd bring up that you and I had uh, discussed a while back, Brian, is that uh, even if you live in Missouri, 
if your IRA LLC invests in something that is uh, housed, so to speak, by a California LLC, you're still going to be asked to have that, your IRA in Missouri, file a tax return in California to tell California you don't owe them anything, but they'll charge you 800 bucks. Is that a... Exactly. Fairly... Yeah, California defines what they call business nexus, and it's either, you know, physically having activity within the state or participating in the generation of, of you know, financial income through a, a California-based entity. So for in, in the case of your funds, for example, you've got a California LLC. Well, a, 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 an investor in that LLC is going to get a K-1 from a California institution. That's going to get reported to the state of California. California is going to go after that out-of-state investor and say, hey, you had a, a California business nexus. We, we, we want our piece, and the trust eliminates that. So it seems the key thing that happens differently is that with a trust, nobody's getting a K-1 to to California. They'll still get the K-1. Uh, you know, the, the, your fund still needs to report the income, but the nature of the recipient is such that California doesn't care. Uh, if you were an individual, California wouldn't care. It's just if you're a licensed business and you have a, a business nexus in California, that's where you fall under the California Franchise Tax Board and, and the, the, the reporting and the fees. So uh, an individual or a trust uh, is going to have that, that exposure. Gotcha. Thanks. Thanks. And by the way, sure. we call it the gotcha nexus in California. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I've always told clients you could be an Arizona resident doing business exclusively in Arizona, and if you walk up to the border and sneeze in the general direction of California, they're going to want their eight hundred dollars. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Oh yeah. Now, when I talk to prospects and clients, they're always asking me the question, "Why should I have a self-directed IRA when all I have to do is make the call to my custodian managed account and I get it done?" Would you go over the various advantages of having the, the checkbook control over a custodian managed account? Sure, it's going to be it's going to be several things. Uh, you know, when you, when you have just the account with the custodian, you're reliant on that custodian to process the transaction. So every time you want to initiate a transaction, it's sending paperwork in for the custodian to review and sign. They're not reviewing the suitability, just that they have all the necessary pieces of paper in front of them to document the transaction. Usually takes a couple of days to, to get that through the queue, and then they're going to fund the transaction as you direct them by check or by wire or whatnot. And so you have that, that paperwork and delay. Uh, you have typically a processing charge or a charge based on the number or type of investment assets or the dollar value of the account or, or some other factor to cover their expenses for managing the investments of the account. With the IRA checkbook model, where we've got the IRA making the one-time investment into the trust, well, we go through that same process of having the custodian review and process the transaction, but we do it just one time only at the initial establishment of the plan. From that point forward, the client can then use the trust entity to engage in their investment. So there's no there's no paperwork and processing delays. Obviously, you know they'll need to sign the contracts to initiate the investment, but it's simply signing the contracts, not a whole bunch of extra forms saying please sign these contracts. The client can directly fund the investment out of that account that they choose, and, and there aren't going to be additional you know delays and, and processing or per asset fees. So it's just it's a lot more nimble, and over you know the lifetime of using the program, probably going to be a lot more cost effective. Now, Brian, are there custodians out there who will disapprove various investments that aren't what we would call, quote, traditional, like discounted notes would be my favorite example? Would they disapprove that, or do they always approve it? They just want you to do the paper. 
for work. It's usually they're going to they're going to approve the transaction. There's a few times where I've I've you know in in speaking with a, a new or potential client heard where for some reason a custodian hasn't wanted to execute a transaction that they've presented and usually I can't figure out why. But no, generally speaking, you know their role isn't isn't to vet the investments. You know to a certain degree they will. I mean if they see you're making a blatant mistake like trying to write a check to yourself, they're going to stop and ask questions. But if you provide documentation that says the IRA is going to invest in X and they can see what X is, it's a, you know a subscription agreement to an LLC or direct you know note documents or those types of things titled to real estate, as long as all the documentation is there and lines up, they're going to say, great, we have what we need to record the transaction. We can execute the transaction because that's really the, the role of a custodian is to faithfully execute what you ask them to execute. It's not really to, again, serve as a, as a gatekeeper or vet or, or approve or disapprove. Again, there are certain rare times where we've seen where they've just said, no, this isn't the kind of asset that we feel we can hold. And I think it has just more to do with they can't meet their compliance criteria on the documentation side. Okay, cool. Thanks. Uh, Brian, when, when somebody makes the decision that they want to go total checkbook control, uh, what does it cost? Sure, sure. Yeah, with the IRA trust, um, you know, big picture, there's fees for our services and there's fees for the IRA uh, account and whatnot. But big picture, it's, it's normally about $1,725 for bulk guy clients. Uh, we have a discount of $200. So B1525 all told between our fees and the fees of the custodian, all the first year associated fees. In future years, the only thing that you have is the cost of maintaining the IRA account itself. And the custodian kingdom trust that we use is very cost effective. It's $100 a year. And that doesn't change based on, the like, again, the dollar value or the number or type of transactions because they're really just in the background documenting that the IRA owns the one asset, the trust itself. Got it. And finally, who qualifies to make this happen? Well, you know, pretty much anybody who can have an IRA, and that means somebody who already has some tax-sheltered retirement savings, could be an old 401k plan with a prior employer, could be an existing IRA, or it could be a, a Roth IRA, or even an inherited IRA. So if you already have IRA funds, they can just be reconfigured. I mean, we're, again, we're keeping it in an IRA. We're just moving it from one institution to another, changing the business model so it can invest differently. And then, you know, somebody wanting to establish a plan, obviously, you want to have some savings accumulated from somewhere, but anybody who has earned income can establish and contribute to an IRA. So it's pretty pretty broadly applicable. Most anybody could do this. The one limitation we do run into from time to time is folks will want to do this, and they've got their savings in their current employer 401k plan. And typically, that's not something you're going to be able to move unless you change jobs or while still working with that employer reach retirement age of 59 and a half. I appreciate that. And, and by the way, I think for future uh, podcasts, one of the topics that I think is really pulling in great interest, Brian, is people are seeing the low performance yields of their 401ks over time. And they're wanting to know what are their options to be able to take, either roll it, get it out, pay the penalties, get it into a self-directed retirement plan that they control completely and all that. I think that would be a great topic sometime soon. Sure, sure. Well, thanks, Brian. We appreciate it. You've, again, knocked it out of the park. Really appreciate it. Certainly. Always good to chat and like sharing information on these topics. We'll, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Listeners, thanks for coming in today. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown. 
and our guest, Brian Eastman.